Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser, the host. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button and leave us some feedback. Love to hear from you. That's the only way we can grow. If you get a chance, head over to disrupteducation.co. It's a great place to see all these podcasts and also my blog and where I'm going to be up and coming around education reform. Uh, You can learn a lot about that. You can also connect with me there as well. On this episode of Disrupt Education, this is the Startup Teacher Playbook. Yes, the world is changing fast. Education is lagging behind, but Michelle Blanchett and Darcy Backergaard have created the Startup Teacher Playbook to get educators on offense. Darcy and Michelle, both former teachers in different areas, share their learning journey. They both know how to use startup ideas and methods to bring ideas to action and put PD back in the hands of educators. This is a great story. They're going to share their journey, and that's going to start right after this. Hang out. Are you an individual or business wanting to create an online course or training program, but are overwhelmed with the e-learning process and don't even know where to start? If so, you don't want to miss this free masterclass called Create and Launch a Successful E-Learning Program Online Course or Virtual Training, where you will learn the biggest mistake most people make with e-learning, the number one reason most e-learning programs fail, and the three pillars to create extraordinary value for your learners every time and much more. Get instant access to the free masterclass right now by clicking on the link in the description. All you have to do is sign in and you will get instant access to this free masterclass right now. I recently asked Jake, who is a sophomore in high school, why he uses SpikeView to share his learning journey. Um, I think it's really cool that you know SpikeView is really putting that abstract into con- concrete data and knowledge and then displaying that to the outside world. And I think SpikeView is different than anything else out there. Um, like I said before, because it's really taking that, you know, the, that those abstract skill sets and those abstract experiences and putting them into data that, you know, is actually mathematic and scientific and, um, you know, that matches you up with the best programs and, um, you know, best places for you. People, um, you know, who are really trying to make those changes in the world and they're going to be using SpikeView because SpikeView is that app where you can, you know, take, take those experiences and take those passions and put them out there. Um, and share with other people and that's you know that's really powerful and that you know that professional networking piece um, you know to be with other like-minded teenagers that puts you ahead that puts you ahead in a lot of ways and so um, you know I think anyone who uses SpikeView right now has a leg up in the future and excited to see you know where those SpikeView alumni head up. Head to SpikeView.com start your portfolio now for free. The Disrupt Education vlog can be found on YouTube. To hear it in podcast form, search Disrupt Education on any of the following podcast platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Welcome to this episode of Disrupt Education. I'm Peter Hostrosser, the host. Hey, thank you all so much for listening in today. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. You'll get the podcast right away and you'll help 
understand a lot more what's going on in disrupting education and education reform. I've got two wonderful guests today, Michelle Blanchett and Darcy Backagard, and they have written for those who are watching this book, uh, and it's called the Startup Teacher Playbook. They do a lot of different things. Um, thank you both so much for being here with us today. Thanks for Thanks having Thanks for taking the time to have us. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to start with you, Darcy. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do uh, and, well, basically who you are and uh, what you're about these days. Yeah, I'm a teaching veteran. I've been in education for about 15 years, 10 years in the classroom, and then the last five working as a professional development and technology integration coach. And most recently, joined forces with Michelle to co-author the Startup Teacher Playbook. So my main areas of interest are really teacher empowerment and using professional development to help empower teachers to solve the challenges that they see in their classrooms, in their schools, in their districts, the little things that gum up the day-to-day -day operation, as well as some of the bigger things that are really preventing student success in the classroom. Um, and so some of that can involve ed tech, some of that can involve my, my first background I came to education via theater and so I have a lot of passion for interactive activities in the classroom um, but really just helping teachers get back the joy that they had as they and that purpose that they originally had as educators and to make PD hopefully a little less painful. <laughs> There's a, there's, there's a lot of that that's going to be needed. Uh, the bigger picture is coming through with the pandemic, so, uh, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Michelle, tell us a little, bit about, a little bit about you and what you're doing these days. Uh, sure. So uh, former teacher, I've taught social studies in the U.S. and in Switzerland uh, in both instances. Um, I got a little bit frustrated as well because I didn't understand why we weren't using the professional learning space to uh, cultivate our own ideas. Uh, teachers have great ideas for what our kids need. I think COVID's highlighted that. Um, but unfortunately, as teachers, we don't get a chance often to act on those ideas or to implement the great ideas that we have. Um, that, of course, led me uh, to actually start an organization called the Educators Lab, which Darcy has joined me on. Um, and with that, we actually work with organizations. We also go into schools um, and we help them to rethink professional learning so that uh, it actually exemplifies, A, the type of teaching we'd like to see teachers do with students, um, but it also helps teachers to uh, learn more about design thinking. We, we mix a little bit of lean startup in, et cetera, so that teachers can actually get a chance to um, launch ideas and uh, do things that they think will improve uh, teaching and learning for their students. Oh, I love that. That's uh, We're going to jump into that in the disruption part. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to ask both of you about your, your own educational journeys. Um, I think it's important for listeners to hear about you know the innovative educators. There's always something in there. So I'm going to pick for those things. Um, and we'll start with you, Darcy. Um, tell us a little bit about your educational path. Um, obviously, you were in theater and as an educator there. Mm -hmm. But before that, what was your educational path like? And what were some of the things that got you to think in the way that you're thinking now in an innovative way? I was a pretty dorky, um, join everything dorky in high school. My brother was a total jock. He's two years younger than me. And I, w I was definitely his embarrassing older sister who was in like science Olympiad and even the dorky sports, cross country and track and, you know, marching band and choir, everything speech dorky. Um, 
so I really liked high school and I think I very early on, I figured out how to play the game of school. I always tell my students, I I don't think it really matters if you're a 4.0 student or how you do on these things. To me, the biggest thing that that showed me as a person, I knew how to give teachers what they want. And I think that was the first, even though I knew that about myself, I don't think the penny dropped at the fault in education until I was a teacher that I knew how to game the system. So a lot of my students knew how to game the system. So how is that actually learning? How is that authentic? How is that, you know, really helping them cultivate a love of learning and figuring things out? Um, And I did, I majored in theater in college. And so I got done and started working in the Minneapolis theater area and very quickly realized that I just, I, it, I just wanted to do more. And so became an English and theater teacher. In that process, I taught in Wisconsin for a few years, taught in North Dakota, and then um, ended up teaching at Robert College in Istanbul, Turkey. And that was a formative part in my shift as an educator overall. I think every educator needs to be in an environment where they feel super stupid. Um, I don't know. I've never felt so vulnerable and stupid in my life. And I feel like I'm a, a moderately intelligent person. But I had a whole new empathy for my students, particularly English language learners, but also just any of my students for whom English class as a course didn't initially click because that's how I felt every day. Like I felt like I couldn't communicate, I couldn't do things, and I was reliant on all these other people. And it really shifted what I thought was important in the classroom. And I really doubled down on making relationships and connecting to students. And it was through that, that when I came back to North Dakota and was teaching here, that I just looked at the curriculum. I looked at everything that we were teaching and I was like, why are we teaching kids this? Why is this, is Beowulf really the mark right now? Like, is that truly gonna help my kids? And I love Beowulf. I mean, love it. Have read multiple translations of it, but is that what my seniors need to be successful in the world? And then that ran into all of these no's as I was asking questions, I was shocked by how asking questions in education somehow makes you a bad person, somehow like really makes people angry. Um, I was shocked at the reaction that just by asking some questions like, why do we do this? Like, why is this what we do? I was met by a lot of backlash. And then, as Michelle said, just that frustration of sitting in PD going, okay, like we have an archaic curriculum. We have kids who I have seniors who are literally reading at a fifth grade level. I have all of these things that I want to be doing. And I'm sitting in this meeting and we're talking about something I don't even know what. I literally could be dusting my classroom right now. And I think it would have more impact on my success as a teacher than what is happening right now. And just through all of that, I just needed to do something else and get out and try to create the type of environment where A, teacher innovation and teacher joy and teachers' passions were rewarded and that you could get continuing education credit for, you know, working on things that actually mattered to you. 
Um, so that's a lot of different whys, mm-hmm. I guess, out there. But I'm I'm so excited to have had these ex- diverse experiences that at least I finally got here. I wish I would have been here when I my first year teaching, um, but I'm here. Yeah, that you know, you can start to see, and we'll get into this a little bit later. The empathy, obviously, uh, in Istanbul, and and that is a key foundation factor, obviously, of not only design thinking, um, as we'll talk about a little bit later, but as just humans. So um, that's great, yeah. so, uh, and thank you for sharing. So, Michelle, what was your uh, your path like in education, um, even before you became a, an educator, and uh, some of the things that kind of pointed you in the direction of just being an innovator in, in the space? Um, it's actually interesting. So my mom was a teacher, and when I was a kid, I had to stay after school every day um, in elementary school until she was finished. So I was staying at school till like five, which I loved. Um, so I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. Um, and so it's, I guess I would start there because I, I guess I never thought I would end up where I am right now. Um, but I, I can resonate with what Darcy was saying with about treating uh, school like a game. I think I've always asked why. I definitely wasn't a model student, though. My grades were good, but I would be the one, I think, that would annoy teachers because I would be like, "Why I don't get why we're doing this. And if I didn't understand why, I struggled to take it seriously. So, But I knew the game. Like, sure, you, you have your good grades or whatnot, but uh, for me – you know, my heart wouldn't necessarily be in into some of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, so I have to say, I, I think another big learning curve for me is, is I come from a really large family. My immediate family is following. My dad's one of six. My mom's one of 11. I have over 30 cousins. And uh, I, I, I'm one of the babies, if you will. I'm 18th. So I watched a lot on what to do and especially, I think, what not to do. Um, but, you know, as you're kind of navigating, I... Uh, I had actually wanted to go into international development and, you know, I wanted to do something that made a difference. So in any case, uh, in college, I ended up doing this internship randomly in D.C. They didn't have enough teachers, so they would actually let me teach a portion um, of the day. It was this camp um, and I and I loved it. So I was like, you know, what? this is this is great. This is how I'm going to make my difference. Um, so I went into it, you know, I, I got, ended up getting my teaching degree. But mind you, my background's anthropology. It's international relations love comparative politics. So, um, but I, I, I got my uh, certificate to teach social studies. Um, and I went in and, you know, I had the same kind of thing. I, you know, my students, um, we, we, I was just working with this population where like there's a fair amount of gang activity. Um, I was shocked by the, you know, I was teaching eighth grade at the time. Some of the stuff my kids were dealing with, I had a kid that was already engaged had to call the parents to be like, hey, she's 13. Oh, no, it's for when she turns 18. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, you have kids running away. I, I, I mean, just and I the list really can go on. And, you know, um, these kids are dealing with really real things, you know, like and you're having to go over like they don't know what to wear to court. Like I had a, a student like they didn't know to actually dress nice and try to speak properly because the judge is going to you know, do not treat you very well if you go in with 
whatever ensemble they had on this day. And, um, you know, for me, I was teaching the Punic Wars. I still can remember this one lesson. And they were super into it. They were engaged. I had Roman Empire. So they were telling me the battles and all the names I wanted. And I was like, engagement doesn't matter. This is completely irrelevant. How am I helping these kids? These kids are 13 and they're already telling me I'm not going to college. And my school was only pushing college ready. And, it, you know, it got me thinking, what about everybody else? Like, this is not a good education to employment pipeline. For me, student success means that these kids are going to live a good life. Like they have a decent quality of life later. Um, they, they have financial stability, like purpose, joy, you know. So it, I think at that point when I was thinking about student success, it really had me questioning the system that we're in. And there's just all these moving parts to it that, again, just didn't add up. So um I, I can already say I, it, I was only in two years and I was I was pretty demoralized. I just didn't. I was like this, this like you can have a bond with the kids. You can attempt to make a difference. But the reality is, is this I don't I don't think on the long term I'm doing much. Um, so anyways, that uh, I ended up doing a master's in Spain. I, you know, I wanted to learn Spanish. Um, I had a lot of Spanish speaking students. So that was a goal. Um, and I wanted I learned I did international relations. Um, but in any case, when I was there, I discovered social entrepreneurship. I took part in this big, I became vice president of this big social responsibility forum, and I loved it. Um, so social entrepreneurship just introduced me to all these great topics like design thinking and lean methodology and, you know, how can you use business principles for good? How can you think about impact? And it really gave me a clear structure on okay, if things aren't working, what can you do about it? How can you pivot? How can you work within systems? When do you not work within a system and create something new? Um, and anyways, that was pretty inspiring. And I took a lot of what I, I, I learned from there and, and took it with me. So I did go back to the classroom for a few years later in Switzerland, but I've always had one foot in the door with social entrepreneurship. I joined different um, groups. There's Global Shapers with World Economic Forum. I Impact Hub. I watched it in Madrid and Zurich and Geneva. And it was just such a great space because um, as much as the world sometimes can seem crazy, um, as soon as you're in with this crowd of change makers, you you know that there's someone out there working to solve every single problem that there is, and that's empowering and inspiring. And then as an educator, you wonder, how do I take that momentum, that movement, that framework, that structure and bring it to young people so that they can do the same? I mean, wow. I mean, I almost have chills on both of your stories because number one, that, that you've both been feeling what many teachers, many more teachers even now are, are, are being exposed to, uh, educators in the field. And also the worldwide movement, right? So this is not just in... The United States. This is not just in Switzerland. It's not just in Spain. This is across the world, and we we all three of us have kind of a a, a synergy when you know we've we've experienced things outside of our comfort zones and and um, adding the the you know the the business model canvas, which we're going to unpack right here a little bit, and and how you're using that. Um, I just got off, uh, there was a uh, one of the previous podcasts from this one uh, with Komal Shah, he's uh, amazing, and it's happy teachers, happy students, right? Um, and I, that just kind of came in both of your stories, and you're, uh, you're helping educators who really want to make a change to give a change. So let's unpack that. That's, a, I think, the disrupt education moment of, of what you all are doing. Um, so let's dive into now what what are the things um, we can go into the book uh, in, in the other places with design thinking and such that 
you are creating, you've seen, you're working with, um, and we'll go from there and, and you know, tell us some stories about, you know, what are things that are working, um, what are still some struggles and new things that you're seeing throughout the pandemic. Um, and then I'll, I'll ask a few more hard questions at the end, but um, we'll open unpack that there. Um, Darcy, we'll start with you. I guess I focus on professional development right now. And so in the last couple of years, I started running something I was calling Educator Innovation Labs. And it's a pretty simple concept. There's a lot of great one day PD workshops, right, that even have breakout sessions. So there's at least some choice for student um, for teachers. I wouldn't really call it personalized PD because the options are decided for them. Um, but I started offering kind of an add on to anyone who was offering these choice based professional developments. And that was part of how I started as Michelle and I were working on the educator canvas, started test running it with teachers to see, does this work? Trying to get a little bit of proof of concept. And it was pretty transformative to just see teachers, they would come, so they would come on a day one, traditional sit and get PD, right? Listen to a, an inspirational speaker, go to some breakout sessions, go home. The next day, I would lead them through just some brainstorming, like reflecting on the day. What were some of your key takeaways? What were, what were you doing? And then I would lead them through, all right, so now you're going to design, you're going to take your inspiration from yesterday and actually design something for your classroom. And we would go through the canvas and they would have time to brainstorm with each other. They had time just to work. By the end of the day, some teachers had designed um, how they were going to implement Pear Deck into their classroom. Some teachers had designed an overview of two years and how they were going to support one student they were really worried about, making sure that that kid actually made it through middle school. So it's amazing what teachers can do in the course of a day if you give them the time and the structure. And what was really wonderful and gratifying was that at the end of the day, teachers would look at me and say, okay, well now what do I have to do to get my credit? Because unfortunately, so much of renewal credit and continuing education is based on how many, how many hours have you sat in this chair? <laughs> and I would look at them and say, well, nothing. You were here yesterday and today. That's your 15 hours. That's what it is in North Dakota, at least, for credit. And so you're done. And they could not believe that they were going to get a continuing education credit for creating a lesson plan for their classroom. And how sad is that? Like, why isn't that the norm? Why aren't we empowering teachers to create solutions? Why aren't we? We're spending thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on professional development for educators. And a lot of it is really good inspiration. But there's no follow through. It's like most of the time you come from the best PD I would um, attend. I would come back the next day and I had to teach. And so when was my process time? Where was my time to actually take that inspiration and implement it? And so that's what I've been working on. And that's what I'm really excited to do. Um, this summer, I'm running a personalized um, PD challenge. So every January, I do a 30-day yoga challenge. And on day one, I got three minutes into the video and went, why aren't we doing this for teachers? And outlined a 30-day PD challenge. But you don't have to do it in 30 days. So I'm just calling it a personalized PD challenge. And it will be free for anyone who wants to join in. I have continuing educa education credit available for people who need that or want that. 
But the basic idea is let's break down the innovation process into 30 small steps, 15 to 20 minutes a day, just one little nugget. So instead of PD being this whole separate thing that is, I always felt it was almost disconnected from my life, from my teaching, from my classroom. Let's make this a little bit more of an inherent reflective process that we do every single day. Um, And that's where I'm at in trying to, I want to create experiences where teachers can get credit for innovating and just help them think in a new way. Because unfortunately, teachers really aren't taught design thinking. I learned about action research when I was doing my master's degree, but not when I was doing my teacher certification. And while I know teachers inherently do human-centered design, right? We do. We look at our class, we see that they're totally confused, we revise. We're doing that cycle constantly, but it's not formal and it's not something that we're taught how to do. And so I think it's just important to provide those opportunities and help teachers nurture those natural skills into a more systemic process for them. Yeah. Systematic I, process. I love the now what, like, so now what, right? That's really the yeah. question that we were asking. So now what, like we got this instruction or we got this professional mm-hmm. development and I could use quotes around that sometimes as well, but now what, <laughs> what do we do? Um, where do we find the time to do that? Do we do it? And that's wow. All right. I'll have some follow-up questions there. Um, and, and Michelle, um, with, with your, uh, you know, anthropology is amazing. Like I know a lot of people in, in that realm and that's just such an interesting lens. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to poke at you a little bit and say, hey, what? how do you use that in what you're doing now? And then tell us some of those stories that, that you're working with educators. For me, anthropology is interesting because you always think about it in the traditional Margaret Mead investigating these tribes kind of thing. Absolutely not. For me, anthropology is really learning how to empathize. Um, it is learning how to uh, get feedback. It's learning how to observe. It's learning how to adapt and and um I, I would say fit the context that you need to. So for me, because, uh, it, it, you know, anthropology, usually people are like, what a waste. Um, but wow. for me, it actually wasn't. I think it was a great precursor to doing, um, I would say, human-centered design and also um, just working on emotional intelligence, uh, right? Because when you're observing, when you're talking with people, even how to do proper interview questions, you know, this this whole thing, um, you need these things uh, if you're going to innovate. So I actually feel a lot of what I, I learned um, as an anthrop- anthropology major was quite useful. Um, I can go um, as well into, I think I'm going to dive a little bit more into our book yeah. um, with, uh, with the educator and Canvas and whatnot. So a few things that we noticed is we were trying to do um, some of these more teacher-centered um, professional learning sort of uh, workshops. And oftentimes we leave teachers fired up or we do a brainstorming session and then it's over. We do design thinking and then A, they don't have time to actually do the empathy piece because you tell them to just make assumptions about what they think their students would want because you're, you're stuck in there that day. Um, and then there's no follow through, right? So we, we, you know, we say maybe design a prototype, but then what? So we noticed that implementation is a, is a big pain point. It's a big missing piece towards professional learning. Um, so that said, um, our, uh, big part of our book is, uh, something called the educator canvas. Um, and it was inspired by the business model canvas. It's something, um, 
that, and again, yes, it's global, right? The business model canvas is just this one pager that people would download and you could go literally to any kind of workshop on, Hey, you have an idea. You want to see if it has value, have this business model canvas workshop. And what was so amazing about it was they weren't paying for speakers. They weren't paying for consultants. You could run it yourself because it provided enough structure. It provided the guiding questions you needed to think through it yourself. And just having a bunch of other people in the room to collaborate with, to get feedback from was usually enough to get people going. Um, so, you know, the idea was, hey, why don't we have something like this in the education space? Because we don't need the consultants and the speakers most of the time. Um, the teachers have the ideas. Like if, if you are a consultant and you go into a school, half the time you're like, why aren't they just listening to their teachers? Their teachers tell you immediately what the problem is. And then they will also tell you what should be done about it. And they're right. So why aren't we, um, you know, providing a space where these people can, you know, work together, collaborate and try something new. Um, so that's what inspired us to create this business model canvas is because, yeah, we do hope it disrupts the space. We hope that teachers do start getting credit um, for their professional growth because they learned something from an ed camper from Voxer or Clubhouse, came in, worked with each other and actually tried. It is the empathy, though, really. I mean, yeah. and I love that because every anthropology student or somebody who has the major or minor has a kind of a different lens on it. So that's why I wanted to poke that out a little bit and see what what uh, how you saw it. But um, as we know, um, well, we know, but um, in the design thinking process, the first thing is asking and, and empathizing and understanding um, what is happening. Um, so I wanted to just kind of say what what are some of the stories that that through the the startup teacher playbook have you have you heard um, teachers actually building something? Do you have any examples or anything? Because I have like a thousand things on my mind where I've worked with uh, kids uh, and mostly students. I, I just love learning from students. But um, what are what are some of the things that you've seen uh, so far um, in the early stages of of the startup teacher playbook? Well, as you said, it is the early stages, mm -hmm. and so. First of all, if any of your listeners do end up getting the Startup Teacher Playbook and they use it and they start innovating and start doing things, we would love to hear those stories. Um, we want to hear how this is helping support teacher innovation, how, how it is helping rekindle teacher joy. So please share those stories with us. Um, right now, as we've been doing this in a few different areas, uh, one of my favorite stories is from Iowa. Maybe this is what Michelle was going to talk, talk about as well. But uh, a teacher friend of ours, uh, Dr. Mecca Wallace Spurgeon, is the technology coordinator in Centerville, Iowa. And as they were going into the start of this pandemic year, and they were having to shift all of their learning to hybrid and distance models, she is the technology integration specialist, modeled some of the resources that they were going to have pretty traditional role of a technology integrator. But then instead of saying, so this is what you're going to do, she took a step back, gave all of the teachers the canvas and said, okay, so what problems do you anticipate this new system? Um, what problems do you foresee for the students as well as for the parents? Both users were really important here. Now design, using technology, design a solution. What is this going to look like? And so the teachers were really empowered to choose the technology tools that fit their needs, that they thought would help support their learners. Uh, to Michelle's point, there 
wasn't maybe as much time as we would love for user feedback, but I think that was ongoing and inherent in the process, right? Nobody knew what they needed and none of the users yet knew what they were going to need. And so they were able to though personalize at every grade level, how they were going to do that first launch and each team and each teacher took a very different approach in terms of what was important and what they needed to do to prepare for this huge transition to distance and hybrid learning. So I love that that helped um, teachers solve some pandemic stories. I did have a teacher right when the pandemic started who had attended one of my innovation lab workshops the previous summer. She emailed me and she said, I am so glad that I had the opportunity to go through this canvas last summer. She said, it has made thinking on the fly and designing and thinking about what this is going to look like as we switch to all distance learning. And they did it in a weekend, <laughs> this school district. They you know, left school on Friday and by Monday, the teachers were expected to be up and running fully Zoom classes. And she said she wasn't sure that she would have been able to do it if she hadn't had that practice for herself of just going through and thinking through what questions she needed to ask. So that was really powerful for me that even if it helped that one teacher make sure that her lessons were ready and made her feel more capable, that was really important and cool for me. Oh, 100%. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Was that the one that she stole from you, Michelle? Or was there a different one? I, I do like that one because <laughs> it's one of the few cases where we actually got a lot of the canvases back. Um, so the teachers really focused on, you know, how can we create a, a, a top quality learning experience, even remotely for our kids. And it, it was interesting to see um, how are they, they were able to personalize the solution um, and really pick initiatives and tech that they were comfortable with and that they thought they could, you know, do best. Um, but what's really been nice about the Canvas is, uh, I mean, we kind of created it so that we can get out of people's way. Um, so usually we just hear the initial offer. So it's been kind of interesting um, getting emails um, from people in India or Nepal or, you know, I work for this organization or um, we're, we're doing an entrepreneurship program in Kenya and, you know, this would be great. And um, we're... So it's nice because for most people, what they're interested in and what they're, we're still trying to understand the way people are using it. So for instance, as Darcy mentioned, you could have something as open-ended as, you know, how are we going to ensure that, you know, we're teaching in a more equitable fashion? And that's the challenge. And then you have each each person, you're each teacher trying to personalize how they're going to solve it. Um, and then for others, you have more of an open-ended where it's like, hey, what do you want to work on? Like, do you have an idea you want to launch or, you know, what's driving you nuts in class right now? Like what's your biggest frustration? What are you going to do about it? Um, it's just been, so we're getting like the initial, like, Hey, we're interested in it. And now it's time to kind of compile and see, okay, what are people really doing with this thing? So, um, yeah, we're yeah. looking forward to this. It's super exciting. It really is um, because now things are changing super fast, right? And and when you, it, it is really almost, it is a kind of a UX designer for educators. It's um, it's kind of adding all these different implements, but you re there really is no one answer because that was never the way it was intended. So uh, I, I really, I, I love the fact that both of you are really kind of understanding and learning with, you know, that's, that's really, I think, in education, the one biggest thing that I've taken from the pandemic is learning with, 
and dot 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 you can fill in the blank however you want and and because we're all in this together and we're all trying to to figure some things out i think that's what makes this um kind of disruptive but also challenging in the education space mm-hmm. is we're we always have this innovation catch 22. they want you to innovate but then they want the data to prove the innovation works well that's not possible so um i think you know because for instance this canvas this has come from years of iteration like i i have other examples but if you specifically want the canvas um this is from years of working and trying to see what will work with teachers and then that's the other thing is then you need to wait for the proof of concept right so how long are they is it going to take for them to implement and guess what we don't care if teachers fail um we talk about risk taking all the time but for us there is no failing if you tried something for your students and it didn't work who cares you got one step closer to what is going to work and that's the point of these kind of documents um but we're not there yet um in the education space so it's one of those things where um it's more challenging than you would think to do something that's this simple because we do want to micromanage. We want something that's proven. Um, we're scared to let teachers take risks, um, and we're scared to let them try. Uh, so I think sometimes when we talk about uh, these things, it's something that's needed, but it's very, very difficult uh, to implement. Yeah, 100%. I don't think we're taught, and that's actually was my, my question coming up. So you, you headed it out. It was just like, really, like, what what are the things that need to change? And, and I think, you know, those steps of understanding that we can fail and as a matter of fact we should fail and really do it in front of our students and and with our students and then learn from it i mean isn't that what learning is right i would say it's basically everything that we tell our students we just need to actually walk the talk right we say that project-based learning you know experimental learning like we need to try things oh yeah like part of the writing process is it's going to be sloppy it's going to be messy it's not going to be perfect right away like it's it's this whole learning cycle and everything that we say we want to model for our students, everything we say that matters in education, that's not how we treat teachers. Um, Right down to the PD we were talking about before, how often are we as teachers told, don't just lecture, like you can't just stand in front, you can't lecture. And then when we attend professional development, how much of it, what percentage of professional development is sitting in a chair, silently listening to someone talk at us, usually with slides, usually with a ton of information on the slides. I mean, it's everything that we are told not to do. And so I agree with Michelle, we're not there yet. We micromanage everything. She says it so well. Um, And really I think it comes down to like, let's acknowledge what we say we value in the learning process and in education and let's treat teachers the same way. I wrote a blog while sitting in one of those PDs about exactly that, which I love that. I mean, it is, it's rather ridiculous. And, uh, and that's really, that's really what it comes down to. I wanted to give you all a chance to uh, let people know how can they get this amazing book? How can they get in contact with you uh, to actually start their own uh, teacher playbook and, and walk through the, uh, the, the canvas? You can get the Startup Teacher Playbook at Amazon. Um, there's a direct link to the site on our website, theeducatorslab.com. 
And at the website, there's all of our contact information, our upcoming courses, as well as several free resources. So if the first step for you is taking a look at this educator canvas, you can download a free copy of the canvas so that you can right now, while you're waiting for your book to get to you, you can use the canvas and start implementing it. And as I'm saying that, as people are gearing up for end of the year projects, the educator canvas, yes, is designed for educators, but it's a great tool to use with students to help them problem solve. It asks a lot of the questions that we want them to think about in doing project-based learning or creating um, you know, solutions to things. So don't be afraid to download that and see if it'll help you in the classroom with your students for their final projects as well. If the easiest website to remember is startupteacher.org, that will also take you to the book. But yeah, um, we would love to see if people are using it. Please, like, add us on Twitter. Um, it's I, I'm at Educators Lab. Uh, uh, Darcy's at. Are you at? Let's just do add Startup Teacher. We just got that one, so that makes it easier as well. Um, so startupteacher.org and add Startup Teacher. But um, we we say this because we do want to see what people are doing with this. Like, we created the tool because we don't want people to you know think they need to hire us as a speaker or as a facilitator. Like, show you trust your staff by saying, hey, we're going to use this time. Um, we're going to design these projects, download it and see what happens. And then, yeah, we'd love to learn how people are using it and what's coming from it. Um, uh, that's part of the, um, the excitement is to see what can happen when we just you know, get out of our own way and just trust who we're working with in the building. Great things can happen. I've, I've seen small pieces and you don't have to start big, right? They don't, I mean, Darcy, you mentioned it before as well. Like these are smaller projects. You can do very small projects, like even with one student, like you said. There's no right way to do this. We're not trying to create some ridiculous framework where you need to follow all of these rules to do it right. If just sitting there and staring at the paper and you talked it out with your colleagues is what you needed to get it done, then for us, it served its purpose. Um, so just kind of wanted to add, like, we're not out there trying to create another like insane toolkit where you feel you need to do X, Y, Z to, to master it. It's, it just doesn't work that way. Well, I want to thank you both so much, uh, Michelle and Darcy, for being here uh, on Disrupt Education today. Um, the book is the Startup Teacher uh, Playbook. We'll put all the notes on how you can get to it in the podcast and on the YouTube channel. Um, but thank you both so much for taking time out of your day worldwide here, as we are, uh, and, uh, and speaking with us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Peter. Awesome. And thank you all for hanging out with us and listening. Um, please check this out. If you're an educator, if you're a board member, if you're an administrator, if you're a parent, if you're a student, there's a lot that you can learn from this. I will go ahead and say yes, you can, because I'm also a business teacher as well. So I love this stuff. Until next time, uh, we'll see you on Disrupt Education.